You're listening to Christianity 101, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, good morning. I'm going to get started here this morning. I have, uh, we are going to do part two of uh, the church this week. We're going to take a little bit closer look at what... uh, what is the role or what are the responsibilities of a healthy church member? Uh, now, we've got lots to cover this morning, uh, but that's okay if we go over time. I think I'll just maybe just move into the service time. We can just... We can just. <laughs> Pastor's looking very animated in the back. I'm not sure it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we'll, we'll keep on time here. I want to welcome you this morning. Uh, it's a, a beautiful day that the Lord's given us, so I'm going to pray. Uh, and then we will get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for uh, who you are, God. We thank you for uh, the beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for the fact that we can gather here as a body of believers, uh, that we can open your word, and that we can read of what you expect of us, Lord, how we are to, to do church, what uh, the responsibilities of uh, individual church members are. I pray that as we go through this morning that you would speak through me, um, I pray that as we leave here, we would glorify you, and that uh, as we prepare for uh, communion this morning, Lord, later on, that we would uh, just allow our uh, hearts to be, uh, our hearts and minds to be changed uh, by what we go through this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I seek a place that can never be destroyed, one that is pure and that fadeth not away, and is laid up in heaven and safe there to be given at the time appointed to them that seek it with all their heart. Read it so, if you will, in my book. Does anyone know what that particular passage or that quote is is from? Does anyone know? So it's not from the Bible, um, but it is from an absolutely fantastic book called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And if you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, I would highly recommend that you do so. And I'm a little bit envious because you get to read it through for the first time. It's a fantastic book. Uh, Charles Spurgeon actually once said that uh, next to the Bible, uh, Pilgrim's Progress was actually his favorite book. And we're talking about a man that read uh, four to five large volume books per week. Uh, Charles Spurgeon loved Pilgrim's Progress. The point of that excerpt from the book is that we are not citizens of this earth waiting to one day pass to heaven. No, we are citizens of heaven passing through this earth. As Christian, the main character of this book understood, we are are sojourners in this place. This morning we are going to examine 10 characteristics of a healthy church member. We need to first uh, establish the fact that this is not our home. Uh, we are just passing through this place. And although this, this earth, this life may feel like a long time, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's not. God has given us the body of Christ, and we are to participate in this body. And again, this morning we're going to look at what the individual uh, responsibilities are of, of church members. The first uh, characteristic or responsibility that we're going to look at this morning is an expositional listener. Now, in order to define what an expositional listener is, we should first define what expositional preaching is. Um, Mark Dever has a really good definition of expositional preaching, and that's this. 
Expositional preaching is preaching in which the main point of the biblical text being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. Expositional preaching is important. It is preaching with the main context or the main understanding of the Bible uh, as an entire story. Uh, and then at, in that particular passage of the Bible, the, the main point and how we can apply it to our lives. Um, I think we should probably, first of all, mention that uh, exposition, expositional preaching is not something we should take for granted. Um, there's actually not, uh, the, not every church out there preaches expositionally. Um, I'm thankful, and I think I can say that for everybody, when I, when I say that um, Pastor uh, Rick and Pastor Dan uh, and Maple City Baptist Church preaches expositionally. And it's a blessing, because you get the entire uh, story, the entire point, the entire context laid out for you. So that's expositional preaching. What is expositional listening? Well, being an expositional list- listener implies that you will not simply be listening for the how-to advice, nor should you have someone wake you up when you hear the phrase, and now for the points of application, when you hear that from the pulpit. No, expositional listening involves listening for the voice and message of God as revealed in His Word. It's listening closely, listening intently, and then taking what is said from the pulpit and applying it to the larger context of the Bible as a whole. A further exposition, uh, a further um, explanation, or I should say, uh, further benefits of expositional listening are as follows. Uh, number one, it produces a hunger for the Word of God. Uh, when you hear the, the Bible uh, preached in such a way that the, the entire narrative is laid out for you, uh, and then you get into the specifics of those points, um, it, it becomes so much more than just uh, helpful advice for the tough day that you're getting through. It really does. Number two, it helps us focus on God's will. When we see God's will, or when we see the Bible played out as the narrative that it is, uh, we can understand better the, the will of God for our lives. Number three, it protects the gospel, and it protects our lives from corruption. Number four, it encourages faithful pastors. When we listen, and listen intently, and we don't nod off and wait for the points of application to just get the good stuff, it does encourage the people that are preaching the word of God. Now, how can we get into the habit of expositional listening? Well, we can meditate on the sermon. I think a great practice is, is taking notes, right? I, I mean, I think all of us are aware that unless you have some sort of uh, higher than average intellect, it's very difficult to listen for 20, 30, maybe 40 minutes. Sometimes it goes a little bit longer and really fully understand everything that is being said. It's helpful to, to be able to take notes. Uh, and then after that, to go back and, and to review them. Number two. Uh, talk with friends about the sermon during the week. It's so important, right? When we get together outside of this place, and we should with, with members of this body of Christ, it's important to be talking about what was going on that week or what pastor said that week in, in church. And it, yeah, it can, it, can even, uh, it can even start with, can you believe what pastor said on Sunday? It usually does, right? And then it just goes from there. <laughs> Number three, Act on the sermon throughout the week. Uh, as I was preparing for this this week, I had such a, a distinct uh, example of this that just popped into my mind right away. Um, and Pastor Dan has been preaching through the book of James. Um, and uh, when he got to the portion uh, in, in James where it's talking about uh, taming the tongue and what the tongue is and, and the, the restless evil that the tongue is, um, I remember sitting through a Sunday night service 
um, and being extremely convicted about uh, my tongue and about letting my tongue slip and about just really uh, the reality of, of what my tongue is capable of. Uh, and it wasn't uh, probably about the third hour of my morning on Monday uh, morning. I got up early, uh, probably a little bit earlier as before I went to school. Uh, but I can't remember what happened, but something happened and I just, my tongue slipped and it was just like, that's exactly what Pastor Dan was just talking about. But if you're listening, uh, if you're expositionally listening, you will take what is said at the pulpit on Sunday and you'll try to apply it throughout the week to your life. Number four, we can get in the habit of expositional listening by addressing questions that you have about the text. Don't ever go uh, from a, a uh, service on Sunday or even a Bible study uh, on a Wednesday or throughout the week uh, and leave a question about the text unanswered. There should be a desire inside of you to want to have that answered. And if you certainly can't answer it yourself, seek other uh, men and women of the faith that can help you answer that question. It's important. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The word of God is powerful. We know that. We need to let it transform our lives. And we need to let the uh, sermons that we hear on Sunday that, again, thankfully at this church they are expositional, uh, change us. We really do. Number two, the second characteristic is a biblical theologian. Second characteristic of a uh, responsible church, church uh, member is a biblical theologian. Now, that may sound intimidating, but again, um, if you remember back uh, from when I uh, spoke on the attributes of God, uh, I'm going to re- um, review this, this quote by A.W. Tozer. And it says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. There cannot be anything more important than that. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We are called to strive to know God more. As we do that, and as we increase in the knowledge of God, there's a number of things that happen. Number one, we have an understanding of how we are to relate to God. It's very important. We are to relate to God in a very specific way. He is our Father. He is someone to be feared. He is certainly someone that loves us. But we need to have a proper understanding of how we are to relate to Him. Number two, we know God's macro story of redemption. Again, from Genesis to Revelation, we see one story throughout the Bible. It's the greatest story ever told. Um, I've been uh, noticing more and more and more, um, and Pastor Dan mentioned when he went through the Word, uh, the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible. We've been reading that to Hudson in the, the, uh, right before he goes to bed at night. Um, and it is amazing. And as I've been opening my, my word and getting into, opening the word and getting into my devotions and going through some of the passages in the Old Testament, it's amazing how often you see Christ in the Old Testament. It's absolutely amazing. It is one story from start to finish. Number three, it helps us overcome wrong ideas. There are a lot of wrong ideas about God out there especially in the the culture that we live in today. Number four, it helps the congregation against false teaching. We are to be biblical theologians as church members because it helps protect against false teaching. Number five, we need a biblical theology for evangelism. Now, I'm not saying that you need a, a PhD in biblical theology, but we do have to have an understanding of biblical theology to properly carry out evangelism. Number six, it deepens our understanding of the gospel. The gospel becomes more and more beautiful as you know more and more about the God that created us.
So how can we strive to become a biblical theologian? Well, uh, number one, we can read the word. Um, in my opinion, I, I really do believe that a good study Bible is worth its weight in gold. Um, there are, are countless uh, people that have gone before us that have poured their lives into the proper interpretation of the Word of God. Uh, and if you have a good study Bible, it can certainly help you uh, understand things that maybe uh, from the context you don't necessarily understand all the history behind the people that you're reading. And you can, you can read that, you can be informed, and then you can have a greater understanding of the context as you get into the Word. Um, uh, one of the, the best parts, I think, of a study Bible is, is before the chapter begins, it will lay out all the context for you. Right? The Word of God was written to a specific people in a specific time. And you can, if you can understand that before you open it, and then from there understand how you can apply that to your life, it, it really does change your reading of the Word. Number two, read great volumes that have been written about God. Um, there's so many great books out there um, about the God that we serve. Um, again, I, I, a little plug for Pilgrim's Progress at the start there. I think it's a fantastic book, and it's, it's certainly worth your time. Number three, study the scriptures uh, thematically by theme. Uh, if you are, are in a habit of just, just reading uh, from the start of a chapter and end of a chapter, I, certainly I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Uh, you get the context. Um, but if you want to certainly go a little bit deeper, study it by theme. Uh, number four, we just mentioned, study the Old Testament with Christ in mind. It's really amazing how Christ will jump out at you when you read the pages of the Old Testament. Number three, the third characteristic is to be gospel-saturated. A healthy church member is to be gospel-saturated. We must first know the gospel. Now, uh, we attend a body of Christ. We attend a church uh, where the gospel is faithfully proclaimed every single Sunday, and that's amazing. So it may sound silly when I say we need to know the gospel, but we have to strive to have a deeper understanding every day of the gospel. It becomes more and more beautiful as you get to know it more. Here's a question for you. And this was one that I, I was kind of convicted on a little bit this week. Could you concisely lay out the complete gospel to a lost friend or family member? Concisely and accurately. Can you explain the gospel concisely and accurately? So, maybe a little bit unconventional, but I'm going to give you uh, about two minutes. And what I would like you to do is turn to the person beside you and see if you can't concisely and accurately explain the gospel. All right, we're going to keep going. But um, I hope that uh, certainly if, if there was any point there where you're thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I do need to maybe think a little bit more about how I would present that, or how I would clearly, concisely, and accurately portray that, um, hopefully that exercise certainly, certainly helped you. Um, I have my students go through, uh, I use this quite a bit, and I, I have them go through and record what's called a vlog. It's, just, it's a video log. So they have a device, an iPad, um, and when we've gone through a concept, I have them work in partners, and one of them will, will film the other one, uh, essentially concisely explaining the concept that they've just learned. Um, and it's one thing to see something on paper and to say, yeah, you know what, I know that, but it's a whole different thing to actually go through and to be able to speak it out clearly, concisely, and accurately for somebody. It's, it's really actually a, a, a powerful uh, teaching tool. Yep? Just a quick, real quick here. Uh, try to explain the gospel to a child. That's a good. Po- that's a good thought too. And yep. You will know if you understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
Um, I think it should be uh, helpful right now to lay out some common misconceptions that the gospel is not. We hear a lot of misconceptions in our culture within the, the larger circle of, of Christianity that the gospel is, but it certainly is not. Uh, the gospel is not we are okay. The gospel is not God is love. The gospel is not that Jesus wants to be your friend. The gospel is not that we should live right. And the gospel is not that all of our problems will be fixed if we follow Christ. Now, there is some truth to some of those things that I just said, but those are not the gospel. It's is it, it is imperative that the gospel is competently understood as God the Father is holy and righteous. He is angry with sinners and compelled to punish sin. Man is in sin and therefore is alienated from God and therefore in danger of eternal condemnation at the hands of God. But God, rich in his mercy, sent his only son, born by the Virgin Mary, to be a propitiation for our sins. Now through the perfect sacrifice of Christ, all who repent of their sin and believe in Christ, following him, as their Lord and Savior, will be saved of the wrath to come. Now how are we to live around the gospel? Well, we are to order our lives around the gospel. Everything that we should, we do <clears throat> from what we do at this place with the body of Christ to how we interact with, with uh, people that are lost in the world, our lives should be ordered around the gospel. We should guard the gospel. We should be ready to uh, refute any uh, misconceptions about the gospel. Clearly, there are a lot of them out there. And number three, we need to be ready to, be sh- to share. We need to be ready in season and out of season, as it says in the Word. Number four is to be genuinely converted. There's been a misunderstanding... Uh, uh, or failure of the church to teach a proper understanding of biblical conversion. And I would say, and I believe, that this is a, a huge reason for so much nominal Christianity. Conversion equals radical change. Conversion equals radical change. Now, some people may hear that and say, wow, that, that sounds actually really kind of incredibly harsh. Um, but do you realize that, that when you are converted, when you, you confess your sins and you uh, allow Christ to now become the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit of God actually enters, comes inside of you. Now, conversion equals radical change. Living for the world, and now you have the Holy Spirit of God residing inside of you, should be radical change. The desires that you have for the world should no longer be the desires that really drive you, that carry you. You should now be... Uh, certainly striving to become more like Christ. Now, does that happen overnight? Right? Are we, we converted and we're, we're perfect sense? Well, certainly not. Right? Example number one. Um, it, it doesn't work like that. But once the Holy Spirit does reside inside of you, the process of sanctification begins. Right? Your desires start to change. Uh, and you do want to become more like Christ. Romans uh, chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 5, says... For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh... If you are not uh, born again, you are you cannot please God. Once that conversion happens, obviously things start to radically change. Unless there is evidence of radical change in spiritual condition, man is doomed to judgment. Conversion cannot be accomplished by human effort, only by the power of God. Conversion requires three things. 
genuine conviction, which leads to repentance, and then salvation through faith, and faith alone in Christ. Uh, Another good question to ask is, is there fruit? Right? Is there fruit? Do we walk in the light, or are we walking in darkness? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, we read, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Another mark of, of genuine conversion is, do we love others in the body of Christ? Do we love other Christians? Do we show love? First John 5, 1 John 5.1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him, also that, begot, so also that is begotten of him. Right? Are we showing uh, fellow members in the body of Christ love? I, I think sometimes we walk into a place uh, of, of worship like this with other Christians, and, and we don't want to look twice at a certain person. That's not, that's not right. We need to be uh, showing love as God showed love. Number five, the, the fifth characteristic is a biblical evangelist. Uh, in Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20, we read of the, the Great Commission. Right? God clearly calls us to make uh, disciples, to make believers of all nations. Biblical evangelism requires one thing of us specifically, that we faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people God places us in contact with. Do we have to argue somebody into salvation? Do we have to present this case that is so unbelievably uh, kind of airtight and, and foolproof that they're just going to absolutely make no other choice other than, yes, I believe? We don't. That's, that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ. When evangelizing, there's a couple things that we should keep in mind as we just kind of went over with our exercise in the gospel. We must be specific We must mention who God is. We must mention the sinfulness of man. We must mention punishment that comes with that. We must mention what Christ has done. And then we must mention our response to Christ. Number two, we must place emphasis on the fact that salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ. That is controversial. Salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ. Um, I've been going through a series in my grade 7, 8 Bible class right now. Um, and uh, to be honest, I probably love it more than the students do. But um, we've been going through and they've been just asking tough questions about Christianity. Uh, I, I truly believe that we should be asking uh, difficult questions because we don't need to, to worry that there's not going to be a good answer to those questions. It's amazing. The Word of God's amazing. Uh, but one of the questions that has come up a number of times is how can we be sure that Christianity is the, the correct religion? And uh, I think we could probably spend two or three or four or five more Sunday school classes on that particular topic, and we're not going to get into that uh, too, too much. But all that to say is that uh, the Word of God clearly teaches that salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The third thing we need to realize is to call the hearer to repentance and, and faith. Okay, When we're evangelizing, we should be calling the hearer to repentance and to faith. Um, Mark Dever makes some additional great points that I, I would like to share with you this morning regarding evangelism. He says, honestly tell people that if they repent and believe, they will be saved, but that it will be costly. Number two, tell people with urgency. Right? If, I think if we had a, a better understanding of the just the shortness of this life, 
uh, and then at the conclusion of this life, what what is going to happen? That we are going to stand before God and we're going to be judged. I think we would we would tell people with more urgency uh, about Christ and about what Christ has done for us. Number three, tell people with joy that if they repent and believe, they will be saved. Number four, use the word of God. Very, very powerful uh, uh, technique to, to evangelize is, is use the Bible. And number five is, is pray, be in prayer. One additional point on, on uh, evangelism that I, th- I thought is important to make is there needs to be an understanding within the, the membership of a, a local church that evangelism is not simply the work of church programs. Right? I think we've been in our, our 21st century Christianity uh, kind of circle, we've been somewhat hardwired to believe that, that evangelism is just the work of church programs. So you have a, a barbecue on a Saturday uh, midday for lunch, or you uh, the MC Hoops basketball camp, or, or whatever it may be. Those things are, are fantastic, and evangelism should happen through those, those mediums, those means. But um, that's not the primary way in which evangelism should happen in the church. It's the responsibility of individual members of the church to be evangelizing every day, right? Whenever you rub uh, shoulders with somebody, uh, that should be uh, certainly uh, coming out of you. You should be evangelizing. Number six. Number six. The sixth characteristic is a committed church member. What does a committed church member look like? Can somebody... Uh, we got a couple passages of Scripture, and I was wondering if somebody could... Uh, flip to him and maybe just a couple different people but the first one is hebrews 10 24 somebody to go to hebrews 10 24 pastor and then uh paul do you want to maybe uh load up uh ephesians 4 uh verse 11 to 16 yeah go for it pastor thank you um and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works awesome so we get the idea that, um, does it say, in verse 25, does it say anything? Taking the assembling of ourselves together as men or some is, okay. exhorting one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. Okay. I may have actually, to be honest, misquoted that, but um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 does, homework again, get into it. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 does talk about how uh, the church certainly does uh, uh, love and push each other to good works, uh, but certainly meet together uh, regularly and look forward to that. Paul, do you have Ephesians? 11 16. That's right, chapter 4, 11 to 16. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth no more uh, children, be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sl- slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which is, which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh, the, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. You might want to sip your coffee. That was a long reading. <laughs> but it is the Word of God, and we shouldn't certainly shouldn't be uh, uh, thinking ne- negatively of that. Um, we are to edify others. A healthy church member is to, to edify others in the body, right? God has given us all gifts uh, and talents, 
And we are to use those talents, not for selfish, narcissistic gain, but we are to use those talents to edify the body of Christ. Uh, Next, we are to warn and admonish. Uh, to speak the truth in love. If we see a brother or sister of Christ wandering into an area that we know is not going to be good, we have a responsibility to warn and admonish them. We, we have a responsibility to do that, but to do it in love. Uh, pursues reconciliation. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 uh, talks about how uh, if there is uh, a situation in which there are, is conflict, and certainly in this life, in this body of Christ, that's going to happen, uh, we are not to, to just let that go. We are to pursue reconciliation. Prepares for the ordinances. It's a good one for this morning, right? We are to prepare for the ordinances, right? Communion, baptism. We are to, uh, to, to certainly uh, come before the Lord's table uh, on a morning such as this, uh, prepared to be, to be right with God, to be right with other members in the body of Christ. To support the work of the ministry. We are to support uh, various works of the ministry here. And again, uh, whatever talents that the, the Lord has blessed you with, we are to use those to support the work of the ministry. Uh, now, I had uh, actually yesterday a very faithful uh, brother in Christ, uh, very uh, gently, back to the point, warns and ad- admonishes, um, highlight to me that last week when I was, I was speaking of uh, the role that uh, men play in the church in regards to leadership positions, uh, that in my haste to go through what I had prepared, I, I forgot to talk about uh, the role that women play in the uh, uh, in the local congregation, the body of Christ. Um, I, uh, well, I apologize for that. I certainly should have highlighted that. Um, and I, I'm really appreciative that, that this brother in Christ uh, mentioned that to me yesterday. Um, I should have said, certainly last week, that, that women play a very, very important role in the body of Christ. Uh, and there are many opportunities uh, within the body of Christ, within our local congregation, uh, where women have an opportunity to lead and to, to teach, right? Um, there are, are various uh, women's uh, meetings on a, a weekly basis, bi-weekly basis, where um, women can take the Word of God and, and explain it uh, in, in a very... Uh, Profound and certainly talented way. Uh, other areas in which uh, women can uh, lead in ministry uh, is in uh, leading devotions, leading children's programs, uh, certainly working in in the nursery, um, and just supporting the overall uh, ministry of of what we do here. It's very very important. Let's take a look uh, quickly at uh, church uh, leadership in the the context of uh, the characteristic that we're talking about right now. Uh, Church leadership in First Timothy chapter three and in First uh, in sorry in Titus one, uh, leaders are to shepherd uh, the flock. Um, if you look at some people will bring up the point, well, is there evidence in the New Testament of uh, a a biblical membership of a church? Uh, it, where is evidence of there? But it's to be honest, it's actually hard to turn a page in the New Testament without seeing evidence for membership in a local congregation. Uh, in first, again, in First Timothy and Titus one, leaders are to shepherd a flock. What flock is there to shepherd without a specific uh, designated group of people within that local congregation? Right? It's kind of hard for a shepherd to uh, shepherd a flock without really knowing which sheep are 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 his. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5, we see evidence of church discipline. Um, we see uh, a very specifically, we went over this last week, but a, a man who is caught in sexual immorality. Um, and the, the members of the church are, are not uh, being diligent in, in addressing that. 
again, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 5 being put out of fellowship. Well, put out of uh, the fellowship. Well, what is the fellowship if not a, a local body of committed members of a congregation? The seventh characteristic that we're going to talk about uh, this morning is a healthy church member seeks discipline. Now, uh, discipline in our culture is often thought of as negative right away. Um, it's thought of as some sort of punishment for an action that you've done wrong. Um, it certainly can be that. Uh, and as I was preparing for this week, um, I, I think a lot of times actually throughout the week, um, my little boys do seek actually discipline because they do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. That's right. They are checking the boundaries. Yep, yep. They're really, really, really persistent in checking those boundaries, though. Um, the discipline we're talking about here is, is having order to your life. Your life must be ordered. Um, as a teacher, I see the reality of that in my classroom every single day. If I don't provide a structured environment, it's chaos, right? Uh, snow days. We had another snow day this week uh, where the buses were canceled. Half of my students, 50% of my students showed up to class. Um, I still have to provide that structured environment and we still have to push on with what we're going to learn or chaos reigns. It actually becomes some anarchy in the classroom. Um, it's important. The church is no exception to this rule. It's a fact of life. In both a corporate and individual setting, the church needs discipline, order, and structure. When we get together corporately and we come to a structured environment, we don't have... Usher's taking offering while pastor preaches and at the same time Dan is trying to lead worship, right? That's, that's not how it works. There's an order and there's a structure to what we do. Um, individually, do you open the Word of God only on Sunday? Do you spend time in prayer with the Lord only on Sunday? Do you seek discipline in your own life? You need to be uh, having some sort of routine in your life, a discipline routine, where you are in the Word, where you're spending time in, in prayer with God, and you're certainly spending time with, with other believers in, in our congregation. Do we allow the Word to correct us? Do we allow the Word to correct, correct us? Um, are you disciplined when you open His Word? Do you open the Word and seek information, uh, or do you open the Word and through faith realize that God is actually speaking to you? When you hear the Word preached to you, are you looking to have some sort of narcissistic need met? Or are you listening for the overall message and meaning and then applying that to your life and then using that to edify others? Question. Yes. What do you mean? Ah, narcissistic. <laughs> Somebody want to define narcissistic? Dan? All about you. Yes. Very good. Um, we live in the most uh, narcissistic culture in the history of the world, and this has contributed to it, right? Um, I'm absolutely amazed. You go out for, for uh, dinner, you go to a place where you eat, and you see two people sitting across from each other in a booth, and they're just both looking at their own, their own device. It's unbelievable. Um, and it is. It's all about us. Now, certainly, I'm not so extreme to say that, that all of this can be used for bad, but unfortunately, I think a lot of it is. Andrew, the idea too about narcissistic with this therapeutic gospel that when I look to yep. God, what does this do for me? How does it benefit mm-hmm. me? It's all about me, and we've become so introspective that we never do anything. Absolutely. Yep. Eighth characteristic a healthy church member is a growing disciple. A healthy church member is a growing church member. It is impossible to separate the well being of a local church from the health of its individual members. We should be keenly aware of our growth as Christians. 
Are we growing? Are we stagnant? It's so important that we continually grow. Um, it's so important that we continually grow, not for any, again, narcissistic or selfish reason uh, to make ourselves puffed up and look good, but we need to grow with the thought in mind that God cares about our spiritual growth. God is glorified when we grow spiritually. And that needs to be, that certainly needs to be the goal there. We should be obsessed with glorifying God and therefore interested in our spiritual growth. John 15, verse 5 to 8. Uh, when we, we uh, read this verse, uh, we understand the key to spiritual growth is to remain in the vine, right? Who's the vine? Christ. When we remain in Him, we grow. Okay, it's, 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 again, it's not, uh, certainly we, we uh, have a responsibility to, to strive to grow, but it's not by any of our own power that we, we can grow or become more like Christ. But when we remain in Him, we see growth. Uh, a healthy church member is also a church member that seeks to make other disciples. Okay, seeks to make other disciples. Um, there's been a, a really with our, our uh, young group of guys that uh, meet on a, a fairly regular basis. There's been a, a really uh, awesome evidence uh, um, of, or sorry, uh, emphasis on disciple making. It's important, and it's it's not necessarily. Um, sitting down with somebody and saying, okay, we're going to study the Word of God for 10 hours straight here, and this is how we're going to make disciples. It's just doing life with that person. It, it really is powerful. Um, doing life with that person, having spiritual conversations, bringing up things that have been, that you've, you've read and that you've seen in the Word. The ninth characteristic is a humble follower. We are to show humility as Christ was humble. Um, I have read the story uh, in the Gospels of Christ uh, kneeling down and washing the feet of the disciples again and again and again. And every time I read it, I cannot wrap my head around it. Right? I mean, you have the, literally the creator of the universe that spoke you into his existence. And he was willing to kneel down, take a towel, and wash the feet of the disciples. And not wash the feet of the disciples like they were in a gym and their Nikes were on and their, their feet are a little bit smelly. Like we're talking about, they were walking through feces through through dust and through grime and through disgustingness and he was willing to kneel down and to wash their feet we are to be humble that's such a great example of the humility that christ displayed how can we be a humble follower well we need to have a healthy attitude toward church leadership first timothy 5 talks about honoring the uh, honoring our elders we need to be thankful that for the role that they play in the body and for the leadership that they provide. We need to obey and submit to leadership. Hebrews 3.17 talks about this. Our obedience is to make their work a joy. How often do we think about that? Right? How often do we think about that? How often do we think about, okay, this ministry that I'm going to go serve in right now, uh, or this, this problem that I'm having, how can I kind of step back, think about it a little bit more, so that I can ensure that the job of Pastor Dan and Pastor Rick is a joy, right? How often do we think about that? How often do we think about the, maybe not intentionally, but, but certainly the output is the opposite of that. We are to follow the example of the elders. Our leaders are to be an example in everything. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, certainly they're not perfect, but they are striving to be blameless. 
Uh, and certainly we don't necessarily follow them because uh, they're, they're great men of the faith. We follow them because they are striving and seeking to follow Christ. Finally, number 10. The 10th characteristic is uh, a prayer warrior. We have the opportunity to go before the God of heaven regularly. Think about that. We have the opportunity to go before and to boldly come before and speak to the God of heaven. Prayer is universally accepted as something essential to the Christian faith. We know this. It is also one of the most, if not the most, neglected areas of a Christian's life. The church is supposed to be a house of prayer. We are supposed to be constantly in prayer. This is, to be honest, something that I have been extremely convicted about this week as I've prepared for this. Prayer is essential. We see the uh, example of the importance of prayer in the early church. In uh, Acts chapter 1, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. Prayer is important. How and when should we pray? Well, we need to pray constantly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about praying constantly. We need to pray to edify the body of Christ. We need to pray for other members in the body of Christ. We need to pray for the laborers and shepherds. We need to pray for all of the saints. We need to pray for those in authority. And we need to pray for those who abuse and persecute us. Now, pray for those in authority. That includes, as difficult as it may be, (coughs) watching our Prime Minister parade himself in costumes through India. We are to be in prayer for that man. And as difficult it may be, and we're not getting political certainly here, but as difficult as it may be sometimes to pray for those who God has placed in authority, we are called to do that. Let's wrap it up. As we highlighted in the very beginning here from Pilgrim's Progress, we are not citizens of this world. We need to understand that. We are to be in this world, but we are not to be of this world. As we sojourn through this place, God has been gracious to give us everything that we need to carry out his will. We don't have to try and figure out what his will is. We don't have to to, to run around this, this life with blindfolds on trying to think, is this what God wants? You know, is this what God wants? We have his word to tell us exactly what he expects of us. We have his spirit and we have the body of Christ. As we live this life, we must strive to live lives as part of his body worthy of the glorious name of the one who has called us. Let's pray.